We're going to continue um, a, a series that we started back in the beginning of, of June, no, actually at the end of June, and so uh, we started talking about uh, biblical church leadership, and so uh, just a reminder, so don't answer out loud, um, answer in your head, but uh, we said there were three names uh, for pastors uh, in the Bible, all right? Three names, just a reminder, don't answer out loud, answer in your head. If you were to say, what are the three names in the Bible that refer to pastors, what would they be? If you guessed, or if you knew, elders, overseers, and shepherds, which are really what? Pastors. So those three names there um, refer to the same group of men. And so when we're reading through uh, the Bible, we're reading through the New Testament, we're looking at the uh, New Testament church, and we read over some of these names, this is all referring to the same group. Sometimes they call them elders, sometimes they call them overseers, sometimes they call them pastors or shepherds, but they're all the same group of men. And so first of all, that was one of the things that we looked at last time that we were together, that these three names used in the New Testament all refer to the same group of men who are pastors, shepherds, all right? So uh, that was the first thing that we looked at. Now, I know if, if you pull, if you have looked through our church constitution, uh, you'll notice in our church constitution, we have three offices in our church constitution. So we have elders, and we have pastors, and we have deacons. Those are the three uh, 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 leadership uh, groups that we have in our constitution. But what we're referring to is we're not really splitting up elders and pastors because that's not what the Bible does. Instead, when we refer to elders, what we're, what we're talking about is really lay shepherds, lay pastors, people who give leadership and care for the flock. So those are elders, they are unpaid shepherds, they care for the flock. But then we also have another classification in our church constitution, which we call pastors. Those are paid elders or paid shepherds. So that would be like Pastor Schmidt, me, that would be Pastor Lovelace, that would be Pastor Callison, which we heard from last week. And so that would be the paid group of shepherds. So when we think about elders and we think about pastors, one is volunteer, the other one is paid. So uh, that is the same group of men. Uh, we just have different names for them in our church constitution, uh, but it's all the same group. And then, of course, uh, we have uh, deacons in our constitution as well. Now, what I want to do is I want to actually take us back to Acts chapter 6, because Acts chapter 6 is really kind of the the beginning of, of, well, it's laying some foundation for what we're going to see in, throughout the Bible and in the future. And so what we have today, we have pastors and we have elders, or we have, el I'm sorry, pastors, elders, and then we have deacons. And we see that, really kind of the groundwork being run for that uh, here in Acts chapter 6. Now, just a reminder that leadership is important. Leadership is important. Matter of fact, when I say uh, different CEOs' names, for instance, if I say Steve Jobs, what do we think of? We think of Apple. And really, Apple, when Steve Jobs came in, Apple was really in a very bad place. 
and, and they were about to close as, as a um, corporation. And uh, really, Steve Jobs came in. He breathed some new life in it. And now we have the Apple that we know today. And so under Steve Jobs' leadership, it did great things. When I think of Elon Musk, who, wh what group do we think of? Or what corporation? Well, we think of Tesla or SpaceX. All right, under his leadership, those are kind of household names as well. Matter of fact, uh, I guess uh, this last week, uh, we were talking about uh, Teslas and how expensive, nice they are, but expensive they are, and how uh, some of us would like to drive a Tesla. And so when we think about names like that, or maybe uh, an older name, uh, maybe someone that's not alive, or I should, Steve Jobs is not, he passed away, but uh, Henry Ford, Henry Ford. All right, so Henry Ford uh, helped uh, develop and uh, market uh, the Ford, and, and now it's, again, a household name. Matter of fact, many of you probably drive a Ford, and so that was started way back before, and, and so uh, we have Henry Ford uh, to think of that, and so when we think about the secular world, it is a no-brainer for us to think leadership is important in the world. And I didn't even go through some of the illustrations of where CEOs have come into corporations and really made some major mistakes. And those corporations possibly have closed or were bought out because of bad leadership. And so if we would look at the world and we would say, yes, leadership is important in the secular world, how much more important is leadership in the church. And so when we think about leadership in the church, it is vitally important. And that's one of the reasons why we're going through this, is because we want to have the, a biblical view of what church leadership is. We want to have a good understanding of, of what, how does the Bible direct pastors and shepherds? How does the Bible direct these, this group of, of leaders in the Word of God? And are we doing that as a church? as well as to give the idea of, you know what, when I think about praying for pastors, when I think about praying for deacons, when we uh, come together in an annual meeting and we begin to vote for elders and deacons, what does that mean? Who are these groups? And so we want to have some good, a good idea of what that is. Now, last time we were together, we looked at John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10 is, is um, the portion of Scripture in which uh, Jesus Christ is in, uh, giving a, an illustration and, and really so much uh, uh, real-life accounts as he thinks about himself. Uh, but he starts talking about shepherds. And so in the first part of, of John chapter 10, he begins to give kind of some encouragement to shepherds. And so we looked at this, that there's really three things that shepherds, which would be pastors, elders should be doing, and that is, number one, preach the gospel. Number two, know the flock. Number three, lead and care for the flock. So we looked at that. I, I gave the illustration. Uh, shepherds, during Jesus' time, shepherds smelled like what? Sheep. All right, so we gave that illustration uh, way back in the end of June and uh, it's true that shepherds should be in with the flock. They should be caring for the flock. They should be leading the flock. 
And so they preach the gospel, they know the flock, they lead and care for the flock. But the thing that we kind of tried to hit home that, that particular Sunday was this. Pastors and elders and deacons, although their leadership in the Bible, they are not the true leaders of the church. The true leaders of the church is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus Christ called himself the gate of the sheep pen. There is no way to come into the church except through Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. All other pastors and elders, all other church leadership fall under Jesus Christ. And so really the true leader is not Pastor Schmidt. It's not the group of elders that we have here. If, if I begin to think that my word is the final word, or the elders begin to think that our word is the final word, you know what? We have missed the reason why we are serving. Because really, we ought to serve under the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And we ought to serve the local flock, which God has given to us, as the good shepherd. And so we looked at that uh, last week. I'm sorry, not last week, but uh, last time that we were together. And so we, here we are in, in part two. And so we want to go ahead and start here in Acts chapter 6. We're just going to read just four verses. And I'm going to have you stand out of respect for God's Word. And we're just going to get started with just these uh, four verses uh, this morning. And it says this. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom, will, uh, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Let's go ahead and stop there and we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do pray that you would meet with us, that as we kind of talk about this really important matter of, of biblical leadership, because really there has been some, some bad leadership and some bad pastors that have gotten into churches and really caused a lot of heartache, a lot of trouble. And some of those churches no longer exist because bad leaders took control. And so, Lord, as we open up this passage, as we think about biblical leaders, we thank you for the good leadership that we have here at Wilton Bible Church. Thank you for our elders. Thank you for our pastors. Thank you for our deacon. Thank you for the way that you have used us. And, and Lord, we're not perfect men. We are broken men. And yet you choose to use us nonetheless for your honor and for your glory. And so thank you for choosing me as a pastor. Thank you for the group of men I get to serve with. And so, Lord, again, we pray that you would use your word to impact our lives. May you increase in our eyes and in our heart. May our love for you grow, and may ourselves decrease. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. 
the first thing that we need to uh, know is what is happening here in Acts chapter 6. What is happening here in Acts chapter 6. And so, uh, the very first thing that I need to point out is I need to really kind of give us the large picture of the book of Acts. And then what we'll do is we'll begin to look at our passage today. And so, first of all, let's think about the large picture as we think about the book of Acts. Well, the first five chapters, that would be chapters 1 through 5, really record the Christian community in Jerusalem. All right? And so there's a lot of outreach happening, but it's right within Jerusalem. Many of the converts um, are Jewish people, and that seems to be really the, the, um, the priority in the first five chapters. And really, we see this kind of uh, go along with what uh, Jesus Christ instructed the church. And so remember, as he instructed the church in chapter 1, he said this. These are the words of Jesus Christ. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Now that is really, as, as Luke kind of lays out uh, Rome, I'm sorry, uh, Acts here, he first of all starts with that witness in Jerusalem. That is chapters 1 through 5. And then as we get into chapter 6, we begin to see it kind of open up a little bit, and we'll see that uh, today. If you're taking notes, Acts 1 through 5, witnesses in Jerusalem. And then as we get into chapter 6, really through chapter 12, we see that theme continue of witness, but it begins to move outside of Jerusalem. All right? So it starts to move more into Judea and Samaria. Again, what Jesus Christ instructed, my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And so we begin to see that, that, that gospel being spread outside of Jerusalem in chapters 6 through 12. And really that's where we are today in chapter 6. But then a little bit further in chapter 13 through 28, we begin to see Paul's ministry. Now, Paul was, was the uh, type of individual who was called to really preach not just where the gospel has already been preached, but his desire was always to go to another place which the gospel had never been preached before. That was his desire. And so really, as we think about the end of Acts... I'm sorry for taking notes again, Acts uh, 6 through 12, witnesses in all uh, Judea and Samaria. Uh, that, that end of Acts is really the end of the earth. So again, Jesus Christ's instructions, instructed the church or instructed the disciples, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And really that is the picture that we get in Acts 13 through 28 witnesses to the end of the earth. Now, why do I bring that up? Why do I give us the big picture of Acts? Well, that is to remind us where we are. We are in really the infant stages of the church. And so what we're about to look at, we really can't say that this is definitely elders and deacons. All right, we can't say that. Although many pastors and many commentaries, as they look at Acts chapter 6, they say this is the first appointments of deacons. And, and you'll definitely see that idea here. But I believe this is just the foundation which will one day, as, as the church continues to mature, will become the pastors and deacons, the two leadership places that we see in the New Testament. And so I think it's very important for us to go back to chapter, uh, Acts chapter 6 
so that we have an idea of how all of this got started. How did all of this get started? What was really the first spark that, uh, that ignited change in leadership? And that's really what we're going to look at today, that first spark that ignited change in leadership. And so we see that that first spark was really a complaint. There was a complaint against the leaders of the church, against the apostles. And so we have to get, get an idea of, of what is going on here. Why is there uh, some complaining going on? And so we see this in verse 1. All right? Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in numbers, we should stop right there and talk about that. Increasing in numbers. As, as I look this up, uh, many people give estimates that the church has really grown, like so much so that now the church there in Jerusalem, it, we're talking about 20 to 25,000 Christians, people who have been saved and baptized and added to the church. This is a large church. There is a lot of responsibility. And so here we have these, these, uh, these apostles, they are they're doing their best to really minister to their church, but they're really experiencing some growing pains. And so at, at one time, and, and remember, many of these guys were, were just like fishermen uh, before Jesus Christ called them to be his disciples. And so really we have this, this group that really are still developing their leadership skills. They're still learning. These are are broken men just like, just like me and the rest of the elders, but, but they're desiring to bring God glory. And so the, 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 the church is growing, and, and so now we see the complaint. The complaint is by the Hellenists. Now, what is this group? This is really an outsider group. These are Jewish people that only speak Greek. All right, normally uh, within Jerusalem... Uh, the Jewish people would have spoke Aramaic, and that's what they would have worshipped the Lord in. But then also, the second language they probably would have spoke is, is Greek, because that was the language of the day. And so the Hebrews, which is referred to a little bit later on, would have spoke Aramaic and Greek. But this Hellenistic group, they were outside of Jerusalem, they were outside of Palestine, and, and so they only spoke Greek. They were an outside group. So again, as we think about the breakup of, of Acts, we have the church really, the witness in Jerusalem, and now it's spreading to Judea and Samaria, the outside of Jerusalem, and that's what we're seeing here. Some people are coming into Jerusalem, they're getting saved, but there's some problems in the church. There's some complaints happening. And who are the complaints against? Well, they're against the Hebrews. So again, the Hebrews would have been the Aramaic and the, and the Greek-speaking people. They would have been the people that lived, the native Jerusalem people. They would have lived there, and, and they would have had everything um, that they needed. They, they had leaders that supported them. And so here we see this, this problem that the Hellenistic widows were not being taken care of. They were being neglected. Some scholars claim that this verse is just the tip of the iceberg indicating that the apostles, if they didn't correct this problem, that there could have been serious problems within the early church. There could have been a very big divide between 
of the Hellenistic group that, that only spoke Greek and the Hebrew group that spoke both Greek and Aramaic. And it could have been really a, a big church split. And so the, the apostles, they realized this. And so they, they address the problem. They want to work on the problem. They, they want to bring God glory. And so they develop a remedy how do we fix this problem? The, the church is, is so large, we're talking about thousands of, of Christians, and they're all worshiping together, but people are falling through the cracks. And so this is causing some problems within the church, a, a problem big enough that there could be a church split. And so the apostles realize that, and the apostles spring into action, and so we see here in, in in verse 2, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. What do they do? They gather together the congregation. They gather together those who follow Jesus Christ. And really they have kind of like a, a family day. They have a family night. And, and so they began to, to address the problem that they've heard. Again, that the Greek-speaking Jews, their widows are not being taken care of. And so they gather together for that purpose to address the whole group. And so, um, completing that verse, the twelve summoned all the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now I need to point this out. Notice what the apostles say here. It is not right that we should give up preaching to serve tables. All right. I want to focus on this idea of not right, not right. Now, the, the, the apostles here, this is, this is what they're not saying, okay? They're not saying we are too good to serve the tables. That's not what they're saying at all, all right? They are servants of the flock, all right? They're, they've been doing this, but this is what ends up happening, because the, the church is experiencing growing pains, they find themselves spread too thin. And they begin to find themselves no longer praying and preaching because they're serving. And so they say this is not right. Not that this is beneath them, but what they're really saying is this is not right in God's eyes. God has called us to preach, to shepherd to preach the gospel, to lead the flock of God, and we are unable to do what God has called us to do. And in God's eyes, this is not right. And so they're not saying this is beneath us. They're saying before God, what we're doing is not right. God has called us to preach the gospel, to preach God's word, and we're not able to do that because we're so busy. And so they summon everyone together, and, and the first thing I, that, that I want to point out, oh, actually we should talk about this word tables, as I continue on here, to serve tables. Now, the Greek word here for, for tables uh, means uh, two different things, or it could be interpreted two different ways. And so one, it could be like serving meals, and, and matter of fact, that's oftentimes what we think of when we think of serving tables. We think of like maybe a waiter. We might go out to eat after church today, and, and the person who serves the tables is the waiter. And so oftentimes that's what we think of. 
But this word table is more than just serving meals. It also is the idea of finances. So it's talking about also a masonry table. It's the idea of really taking the funds that have been coming into the church and making sure they are meeting the needs of the people within the church. And so they're really, the, the apostles were doing two things. They weren't spending time in prayer and preaching. Instead, they were making sure everyone had food and everyone had finances. And really, that's probably where we get this idea of deacon's fund. What is a deacon's fund? Well, it's a benevolence fund. It is to help people that need help. That's probably where we get that name today, deacon's fund, from this, this idea here of tables. Money coming in that really was there to benefit the church, and not to benefit the church, but benefit the congregation and really to help out those who had needs. So the very first thing that I, I want to point out is that the apostles, when they thought about the remedy to the problem, it wasn't to work harder. It wasn't to do more because really these godly servants, these godly leaders realized that they had limits. Their priority was that the Word of God was preached. And so they realized, really, if we're going to, uh, to allow this church to come back together, if we're going to move forward with being a witness not only in Jerusalem, but in Samaria and Judea and to all the world, that we got to continue to preach the gospel. And so the remedy involved preaching the Word of God. And so they weren't going to just put that to the wayside and fix this problem that was happening in the church. No, they kept the main the main thing, the main thing, all right? Preaching of the word, shepherding the people, spreading the gospel. And so notice what they do here in verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. And so they, they, they gave it back to the congregation. They, remember, they, there's this problem. They begin to hear about it. They gather together the congregation. They say, okay, we have heard about this problem. The Hellenist group, the, the widows are not being taken care of. And really, we're trying our best. And it's taking away from our, our prayer and our study and our preaching. And we just can't do this. We have limits. And so what we need to do is we need to call people to come alongside us to help. And so therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. And so the second remedy involved the congregation. As they sat there, as, as they stood there, as they listened to the apostles, they gave them the opportunity. They said, okay, this is how we want to fix things. We need more help. And this is the way that you can help. You can elect seven men to help us. And so they turn back to the congregation. Of course, this is not the, the first time that we've seen the congregation be involved in decisions like that. Matter of fact, and maybe this is where the apostles got uh, this idea of turning it back to the congregation, but Jesus actually instructs his disciples to do the same thing. And so what we do is we find uh, here in 
uh, Matthew 18. Now, Matthew 18 is, is a passage that many of us are familiar with. It's what happens when we have a problem with, with another Christian. What, what happens when we find another Christian who is, is really found in sin? What do we do? How do we handle that? And so, Jesus Christ, again, He is, he is um, giving instruction to His disciples, and He says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. Okay, so Jesus says, first of all, you just go and you talk to him about it. And if things are resolved, praise the Lord, you have your brother again, go on with life. But then he says this in verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So Jesus Christ says this, okay, so if you go to your friend that has sinned against you, or maybe they're caught in sin and you know about it, and, and you talk to them and they just say, I, I'm not listening. He says, okay, go and bring a couple more people who will be witnesses. Go and talk to them again and see what will happen. And really, if, if at that time they say, all right, I want to make things right, before God and, and before the church or uh, before other Christians, then, then let it be. It's done. But then Jesus Christ takes it a little bit further. So again, individually, then two or three witnesses. And if that doesn't work, notice here in verse 17. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, what does Jesus Christ mean when he says church? What he is talking about is a congregation of believers who love God. That's what he's referring to. So, of course, we don't have the New Testament church when Jesus Christ is, is speaking here. But there are definitely people who love the Lord. And so he's saying, bring it before a congregation that loves the Lord. And so... Bring it before individuals, bring it before two or three witnesses. If that doesn't work, bring it before the church. And if they still say no, then really put them outside the church. And so notice that last straw is the congregation is the church. So Jesus Christ uh, taught that. Maybe that's where the apostles got the idea to turn things back over to the church and say, hey, elect seven guys to serve the church. Paul kind of instructs the church in the same way. And so we see a second illustration here of Paul. So maybe Paul got it from Jesus. Maybe he got it from the apostles here in Acts chapter 6. But he does the same thing. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he doesn't blame the pastors and the elders and the deacons for tolerating this man's sin. Now, what was this man's sin? Well, this man ended up marrying his father's wife and as Paul speaks in chapter 5, he says, not even in the sinful, unbelieving world would this happen. How are you allowing this to happen? But he doesn't confront the pastors and the elders and the deacons. He confronts the church. How could you as a church allow this to happen? How can you as a congregation allow this to happen? And so really, he's very pointed with the church. He chastises the church for allowing this immoral sin within the congregation. Paul kind of gives the same 
idea here in Galatians chapter 1, that what's happening in Galatia, in the letter to the Galatians, well, there's been some people that have come in and some Judaizers, and they said, well, that's great that, that you believe that Jesus Christ uh, died for your sins, but what you need to do is you also need to keep all these things if you want to continue to be a Christian. And so they added, they began to add all of these works, and and what I want to point out is what instruction Paul gives to the church. And so notice here, this is chapter 1, verse 8, and he says this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you, again, he's talking to the congregation here, preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And in verse 9, just in case you didn't get it, and we have said, uh, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you, the idea is preaching to you as the congregation, a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. And so again, Paul really turns it back on the church and says, hey, church, it is your responsibility. If you have a leader coming in and they are not on the same basis as the gospel and the word of God, you put them out of the church. And so again, that, that uh, direction is not given to the elders and, and the leadership, but instead it's really given to the church. And so the fact that the apostles turned it over to the church is not a crazy idea. Jesus Christ instructed the disciples to do it. Paul instructs the church. And of course, elders do play a great part in the leadership of the church. Matter of fact, even as we think about the illustration here in chapter 6, it wasn't the church that got together and said, well, how do we solve this problem, right? It was the apostles. The apostles said, there is this problem and this is how we need to fix it. We need some help and we want you to choose who will be that help. And so, they, and they gave that, that remedy involved the church but it didn't simply, they didn't simply say, well, pick whoever you want. What we just need is we need some warm bodies. We just need some people that have some free time. And, and if they're willing to serve, give them to us and we're going to use them. No, no, no. They weren't looking for warm bodies. They actually had some criteria for these men. And so their remedy involved conditions. Okay, so notice... As we continue on in verse 3, it says this, seven men of good repute, that is that their testimony before you is, is good, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. So again, the apostles, they turn it back to the congregation and say, okay, pick out some men who are known, who have strong testimonies, people who are known to be godly men people who are known to be wise men, all right? They weren't looking for warm bodies to fill positions. Sometimes in churches today, that's the case. Sometimes churches, they, they, they're just not, I don't know, there's, there's just not good leadership sometimes in churches, and, and they have to put leadership somewhere, so it's like, well, if you're a warm body, let's just fill it. But that's not how the foundation was, was laid and really, we're not going to look at it today, but there are some requirements for pastor, elder, and for deacons, and we're going to look at that next time we get together. 
We're going to go through those line by line and talk about what are those requirements. But just to kind of give us just really some, 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 some early standards, the church was looking for someone who had good repute, that is a good testimony, that their testimony pointed to the fact they were full of the Spirit, they were godly people, and that they were people who had wisdom, all right? So they, they made right choices. And then they wanted to appoint those people to help in the ministry. And so these men needed a testimony. They needed to be godly. They needed to be ready to serve in wisdom. I, I remember a, an illustration. I don't remember if I read this in a book or maybe a, it was shared with us when I was in Bible college. But I remember the illustration. It, it stuck with me. There was a young man and and uh, he felt called to be a missionary. And so uh, he came to his, his senior pastor, his, his home church pastor, and he said, Pastor, I, I just want to tell you the good news. I feel like the God has called me to missions. Well, the pastor knew this individual. This individual was someone who uh, did not like authority. They did not listen to authority. It was someone who was very rebellious against uh, their parents, rebellious against the authority that was over them, and sometimes even rebellious against the church authority. And so the pastor said this to the young man. He said, that is fantastic, but first you should practice submission before you become a missionary. And so that, that senior pastor, he looked at the testimony, and he said, I don't see that you are a godly, wise man. Work on being a godly, wise man, and then work on being a missionary. So again, that pastor was not looking for a warm body to send to the mission field so that they could hang something on the wall that said, hey, we sent a missionary from our church. Instead, he wanted to send people that were called, people that were ready, people that God would use. And so as we think about that this morning, God has not called us all to be pastors and elders, right? Now what we can begin to think to ourselves is, well, you know what, if I'm not a pastor or elder or a deacon, then I must not be like a, a godly person because remember with the church, they were looking for people that were godly and wise. So if the church doesn't call me, maybe it's, not, it's because I'm not godly and wise, and that's not the case. It's not the case. We all serve in different ways. All right, some of us serve from up front, such as pastors and, and elders. Some serve behind the scenes, such as deacons and, and others that they don't even have a title, but they regularly serve around the church. And so we all play our different parts. So I don't want you guys to equate if I'm not a leader in the ladies' ministry or if I'm not a leader in the church, I must not be a godly individual because that's not what makes godly individuals. That's simply the, pre the, the um, condition of being a leader. Instead, really, this should be our goal. All right, I'm going to tell you what your goal should be as, as a member of Wilton Bible Church. Our goal should be that I desire to be godly and I desire to be wise. 
and the church was ever to call me to a place of leadership, I would, be, I would follow those conditions and be available for that leadership. That's what our goal should be. Not that we're going to call everyone, again, to, to be leaders in the church. But that we ought to prepare our lives to be used by God. And so are we doing that? What are we doing for the Lord? Are we serving the Lord today? So our job is not to one day be pastors and lady ministry leaders. Our goal is simply to be ready if God was ever to call us to be pastors, elders, church leaders, or ladies ministry leaders. Would we be ready? So let's review. Let's review. So what we see here in Acts is really the early stages of the New Testament church. Again, we're, we're, we're in the infant stages, okay, of, of the New Testament church. We have just left uh, Jerusalem. Now we're really expanding out of Jerusalem. We're really just laying the foundation work for what the church is going to be, okay? And so what we see here in Acts chapter 6 is not necessarily deacons and elders, although we see these two ideas in chapter 6, people who serve and people who preach and teach. And really, as we look at the qualifications that Paul sets out in 1 Timothy, we're going to see those are the deciding factors between elders and deacons, all right? Preach and teach and serve. And so we'll see that uh, next time we're together. But notice again, as we kind of finish off here in verses 4 and 5, but we will devote ourselves to prayer. This is the apostles, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, and what they said pleased the whole congregation. So the Greek-speaking Jews would be taken care of. Matter of fact, the men that they called forward to serve, they were, they were Jews that spoke Greek as well based upon their name. They were ready to serve the flock. And so just a reminder, there was direct leadership by the apostles to the congregation that opened up an opportunity to appoint men who would give food and money to those in the congregation who needed it. And so the remedy did two things, all right? The remedy to the problem did two things. One, it appointed men to serve the church, and two, it freed up the apostles as shepherds of the flock to preach the gospel and to continue to lead the church. Now, we don't have that same problem of growing pains here. All right, we don't, we don't have 20 to 25,000 people, but I am so thankful for the elders that I get to serve with. I'm so thankful for the deacon uh, that we have at, at Wilton Bible Church. We do have some special leadership. I'm thankful for the pastors, Pastor Callison that stepped up and did such a great job preaching last Sunday on, on prayer and the importance of prayer. And, and Pastor Peter and all he does, he, he brought a message at a family camp this last year and uh, it was just an excellent message. And, and I'm thankful for everyone I get to serve with. So God has called, uh, called special leaders to Wilton Bible Church. And what we see here in Acts chapter 6 is the foundations for leadership of the church. The idea of elder pastor and the idea of deacon. Now these deacons were special people. Are these, these people, these seven that were called, 
I re- just refer to them as a deacon, but they're not necessarily deacon. They were special people. Uh, they went on to do some great things. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, pastor elders, we serve God by devoting ourselves to prayer and in the ministry of the word. Deacons serve God by serving the church and the gospel. Next week, we'll look at those requirements that Paul lays out for Timothy and for the church regarding those two positions of leadership within the church. Lord, we do thank you for the leaders that we have. Uh, I think about some of the uh, churches uh, that I've heard of and some of the leadership in other churches that I've heard of that are really, uh, really bad, uh, bad leadership. And I'm thankful, Lord, for the leadership that we have here at Wilson Bible Church. Thank you for our elders and our deacons and our pastors who, who love you and desire to put you first. Thank you for having your hand upon our ministry. Thank you for your many blessings uh, to us. Lord, as we uh, continue to kind of uh, study through this, this, this mini topic, this mini sermon of a biblical uh, church leadership, I pray that you would be working in hearts, that you'd be working in lives, that maybe you would even call some of these young people to surrender to preach, to surrender to serve, whether in full-time ministry or in their churches in the future that they would prepare their lives as as men and women have in this church to be used by you. But I also think about some of the men and women in this church who, for whatever reason, uh, they they don't fulfill the requirements of, of leadership because they're not members of the church. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would work in their hearts that they would put themselves under the leadership of the pastors and elders so that they too might join the ranks of leadership within Wilson Bible Church. Again, thank you for each person that we have here. Lord, we realize that as leaders and as, as, as your flock, we are simply broken people. We are beggars that found the bread of life that simply share with other beggars where they too can find the bread of life. And so, Lord, I realize that I'm still growing and that this congregation of people are still growing. We pray that you continue to use your word and your spirit in our lives to transform our lives. That if you are ever to call us in the future to serve in a local church like Wilton Bible Church, that we, our lives would be ready, that we would be men and women of good repute, full of godliness and of wisdom. That, Lord, you would continue to change our lives into lives that would bring you glory. Truly, Lord, as we think about our theme, you have created us for your glory. May you receive the glory from our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.